0: Matthew 24, and we're going to continue the study that, uh, or actually conclude today a study we began um, three weeks ago called Four Square Gospel, and we're talking about the good news of Jesus Christ that uh, is four parts, that Jesus is our Savior, He's our Healer, He's our baptizer in the Holy Spirit, and He's our coming King. Savior, Healer, Baptizer in the Holy Spirit, and coming King. We've talked about the first three. Jesus as our Savior, Jesus as our healer, Jesus as our uh, baptizer in the Holy Spirit, and today Jesus as our King. Now, if there was if you could say that um, the most imp- what would be the most important theme of the Scriptures? You might say, well, the thing that's mentioned the most. Well, if that were the case, then the thing that's mentioned most, in the New Testament anyway, is the return of Jesus. Some 300 times, one in every 25 verses in the New Testament is about the returning of our Savior. The coming again of Jesus Christ. And it's mentioned eight times more than, in the Bible, the return of Jesus, the second coming of the Lord, is mentioned eight times as often as the first coming of Jesus. How many of you are thankful that Jesus came the first time? Hallelujah, I am. But the Bible talks about Jesus coming again eight times as much as it talked about the the first coming so it's an important subject and something that i'll be honest with you i don't talk enough about as a preacher person i bet you don't talk enough about it either but the bible has a lot to say about it and we ought to be people who live in this amazing truth that our savior is coming again this isn't the end of the story Whatever's going on in your life today is not the end of the story. Our Savior is coming back to end the story, to roll up this age. And it will be on His terms and according to His glorious purposes. So whatever the enemy has been doing, nipping at your heels, it's causing you struggles and troubles Listen, that is not the end of the story. In John chapter, I asked you to turn to Matthew, stay there. But in John chapter 14, this is a lovely passage. I I love to come back to from time to time because it's so encouraging. Verse 1 of John chapter 14, let not, Jesus is speaking. Let not your hearts be troubled. Let not your heart be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house are many mansions. The word simply means dwellings. Sometimes we get hung up on the mansions thing. You know. I'm not going to get my mansion here, but I got one coming, right? So it's just <laughs> any place you dwell in heaven is better than what you got here on earth, okay? So In my Father's house are many dwellings. If it weren't so, I would have told you, I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you to myself, that where I am, there you may be also. And where I go, you know, and the way you know. Jesus said to him, Lord, uh, I mean, excuse me, Thomas said to him, Lord, We don't know where you're going. How can we know the way? Jesus said to him, I am the way. I love that. And then Luke, the physician, when he was writing his history of the birth of the church in Acts chapter 1, at verse 9, he says this, now when he, that's Jesus, had spoken these things, and what these things were were his last words before Jesus was ascending into heaven. So now when he, Jesus, had spoken these things, they watched, that they were the disciples and the others who were following Jesus. They watched. He was taken up, and a cloud received him out of their sight. Can you imagine being there day and watching this happen? And while they looked steadfastly toward heaven... While they looked steadfastly toward heaven, as he went up, behold, two men stood by them in white apparel. While they're watching Jesus rise, there appears to them some angelic beings, some angels uh, dressed in white. And they said, Men of Galilee, why do you stand gazing up into heaven? This same Jesus who was taken up from you into heaven will so come in like manner as you saw him go into heaven. He's coming again, and he's coming bodily. He's coming in the same way they saw him go. He's coming back in the same way. Jesus is coming again. And in Titus chapter 2, verse 13, it says that this amazing truth is our blessed hope. I don't know what you're hoping in today. I don't know if it's that the 49ers will pull it out and make it to the you know, playoffs. I don't know what it is that you're hoping for today. But our blessed hope is that Jesus is coming back. Yeah. He's coming back. Now, <clears throat> in uh, uh, Matthew 24, where I asked you to turn, beginning at verse 1, There's actually two chapters here, two whole chapters given to, the. most of it's red ink, because Jesus is talking. And he's talking about his return. He's talking about coming again. Two whole chapters, about, and and it's Jesus saying, these are the things about my coming. Now, like I mentioned before, the Bible, and the New Testament particularly, is full of, Of scripture about the return of the Lord but this is Jesus talking about it and so that's why I've asked you to turn here I want to focus on what he said about his return 24 verse 1 then Jesus went out and departed from the temple and his disciples came to show him the buildings of the temple so they've left the temple area his disciples are looking back with him and saying Jesus isn't that an amazing place the temple was a spectacular building and you know one of the wonders of the world And they're looking back. Isn't that a fantastic place, Jesus? Verse 2, Jesus said to them, Do you not see all these things? Assuredly, I say to you, not one stone shall be left here upon another that shall not be thrown down. Look, he wasn't trying to rain on their parade. He was just saying, look, great building, fantastic, good job. But not one brick is going to be left standing at some point. This is anything. All of this world and all the stuff that you put so much hope and faith and trust in, it's all coming to an end. Make sure you have your hope and faith in the right place, the right person. This prophecy that Jesus says to them was literally fulfilled uh, about, about 70 years later, 70 A.D., when, when the city of Jerusalem was totaled by Emperor Titus. And there was a, in fact, the temple came down brick by brick. So there was nothing left of this great facade 70 years later. Now, verse 3, now as he sat on the Mount of Olives, the disciples came to him privately saying, all right, tell us when will these things be and what will be the sign of your coming and of the end of the age? And they asked the question, everybody asks. it's so human, all right, okay, you must be talking about the future. So Jesus, tell us when will this be and what will be the signs preceding the end of the age and your return. Wouldn't you want to know that too? Wouldn't you ask Jesus if he was standing right here? Okay, when are you coming back? And what will be the signs leading up to it? Why do we want to know those things? Well, we want to know those things because we don't want to be caught unprepared. I want to know when Christmas is. It's on the 25th of December. It's on my calendar because I don't want to show up Christmas morning and, oh, I forgot. I want to be prepared. I want to know when. We also want to know the signs that are leading up to an event so that we can gauge our our expectancy. We want it to peak at the right time. You know, you've all had the experience of of looking forward to a vacation, and you've got to be careful that you don't let your expectation peak too early because then it's just like a drag to wait for that. You want to kind of gauge it so that your hopeful expectation rises just before you're ready to go, Right? So the disciples are asking something very human. When are you coming? And what will be the sign so that we can kind of get ready, so that we can let our expectations start to rise for your return? I want to introduce you to the newest member of the Bolt family. This here is, uh, in just a moment, is uh, Weston Mather Bolt. And he's our newest uh, grandchild, number four, and um, the son of our our son and daughter-in-law. And he was born this past Wednesday at about noon. Now, he was late, <laughs> and uh, we, were, we had to neg- navigate some stuff. We had to, to, to work out. We wanted to be there for the birth. They're in Portland, Oregon. Now, it's about a $600 round trip at the last minute, so we couldn't, you know, we weren't going to be able to, since we don't know when you're coming and what will be the signs, we, we, had, we couldn't uh, plan on flying, so we were going to drive, and it's a 10-hour minimum drive time. So we had to kind of figure out how do we get there on time for the birth. We needed to be able to, to read the tea leaves, sort of. And it was about, I don't know, three or four days after the due date. And I'm calling my son. I am saying now, tell me exactly what the doctor said yesterday. Because I need to get every nuance so that we can figure out when is the right time to leave. And, you know, so when is, this, when is he coming and what are the signs for his return, right? We lived for about two weeks with a suitcase in, in the back of each of our cars because we didn't know where we were going to be when we got the call and we needed to be able to go, right? And so, now look, I know that Weston wasn't sitting in his mom's womb just kind of, you know, chilling and going, you know what, I'm, I know what I'm going to I'm going to just drive my grandma and grandpa crazy. <laughs> we don't have a Savior in heaven who's trying to drive us nuts. There was a lot of stuff going on, and even though he was past the, you know, what we, the doctor said was his due date, there was stuff that still needed to be taken care of. He came at just the right time, and we did make it. We were there, so praise God, yeah. You know, I, I felt bad kind of wishing that, uh, that uh, my daughter-in-law would have a long enough labor that we could get there, but, you know, it, it worked out, kind of worked out. <clears throat> So they ask this question, when are you coming and what are the signs that are leading up to your return? And so Jesus doesn't, you know, he doesn't just, uh, you know, he doesn't write them off. He doesn't discount their desires, but he turns their attention to something that's far more important than the signs. He, But he, he gives, you know, he says, all right. Uh, beginning at verse 4, take heed that no one deceives you, and then he continues for many verses talking to them about the signs that will precede his coming. But let's be honest, most of this is very general as we look at it right now. Most of these things that he talks about would apply to almost any period of time since Jesus ascended into heaven. Now that doesn't mean that that he wasn't being specific. It doesn't mean that we won't look back on it and see how specific he was. And we will say to ourselves, how did we miss that? Because the same thing happened with his first coming. The Bible was clear as a bell about when Jesus would be coming. And the signs of his first coming. But we all now, as we look back on it, we think, how did those people miss that? But they did. Because we don't have the context to be able to see what Jesus says here about the signs for his, that are for his return we don't have the context to be able to see them with the specificity they contain. So for now, we just deal with the generalities of it. Now it's not not that it isn't worthy to study, and uh, many people have, and and uh, you know people a lot smarter than me have a lot to say about the signs about Jesus' return. And you and I encourage you to to uh, you know. Take advantage of those studies. But what I want to do is focus on what Jesus focused on. Because beginning in verse 36, he turns the corner. He talked to them about their their question, when and what are the signs. But then, in verse 36, he says, but look, of that day and hour, no one knows. Not even the angels of heaven, but my Father only But as the days of Noah were, so also will be the coming of the Son of Man. For as in the days before the flood, they were eating and drinking, marrying, giving in marriage until the day that Noah entered the ark. And they didn't know until the flood came and took them all away. So also will be the coming of the Son of Man. Verse 44. Therefore, you also be ready. For the Son of Man is coming at an hour you do not expect. That's not a threat. That's a promise. (laughs) He's coming. He's coming. Be ready. Because it'll be just like in the days of Noah. People carrying on with their lives. And then all of a sudden, the day is upon us. We don't want the day of the Lord to return. or, Or to come upon us. And we weren't prepared or ready. So Jesus launches into telling them four stories. Four parables that... Illustrate to them how they're supposed to live while they're waiting for His return. That to me is the more important thing here. So are you ready to dig into that with me? It'd be good if somebody said yes or amen or something. Whew. Panic there for a minute. In verse forty-five: Who then is a faithful and wise servant whom his master made ruler over his household to give them food and due season? This master turns the rule or the, the maintenance of his household over to two servants. Verse 46, blessed is that servant whom his master, when he comes, will find him so doing. So the master says, okay, guys, I, I'm leaving you in charge of the, uh, of the household. I, uh, the good servant, a faithful servant, a wise servant, is the one that's going to be doing what I've left you to do when I come back. Verse 48, but if that evil servant says in his heart, my master is delayed in his coming and begins to beat his fellow servants and to eat and drink with the drunkards, the master of that servant will come on a day when he's not looking for him in an hour that he is not aware of. Jesus in this first parable of the uh, faithful and evil servants is talking about the fact that we need to be ready now. We need to be ready right now. Jesus, now, you know, there are some people will say, well, Jesus can't come back yet because there's some prophecies that haven't been fulfilled yet. (laughs) Look, Jesus can come at any moment. He could come before I finish this sentence. He didn't. (laughs) He didn't. But to quote a good, a good uh, well, an acquaintance of mine named Jerry Cook, he will interrupt someone's sentence someday. Be ready. Be ready. If you knew that Jesus was going to come back in 10 minutes from now, what would you need to do? Is there someone you need to forgive? Is there someone whose forgiveness you need to ask for? Is there something that you've been failing to yield to the Lord Jesus? Have you invited Jesus to be the Lord of your life? Have you crossed that threshold from doubt into faith and become a Christ child? Would you go with him if he showed up in 10 minutes from now? What do you need to do to be ready now? Jesus said, live that way. Live that way. Don't live as though I'm not coming for a while. Live as though I'm coming at any moment. Next parable, the parable of the wise and foolish virgins, beginning at verse 25. Excuse me, chapter 25, verse 1. (laughs) I'll get it right. Then the kingdom of heaven shall be likened to ten virgins who took their lamps and went out to meet the bridegroom. Now five of them were wise and five were foolish. Those who were foolish took their lamps and took no oil with them. But the wise took oil in their vessels with their lamps. And while the bridegroom was delayed, they all slumbered and slept. And at midnight a cry was heard. Behold, the bridegroom is coming. Go out to meet him. Then all those virgins arose and trimmed their lamps. And the foolish said to the wise, give us some of your oil for our lamps are going out. But the wise answered, saying, No, lest there uh, should not be enough for us and you, but go rather to those who sell and buy for yourselves. And while they went to buy, the bridegroom came, and those who were ready went in with him to the wedding, and the door was shut. The wise virgins are the ones who were prepared for a lengthy wait. In the first parable, Jesus said that the, that the wise or faithful servant was the one who was ready at, for the Lord's return at any moment. In the second parable, the Lord says that the wise virgins were the ones who were prepared for a long wait. A sustained expectancy... Remember I talked about earlier, we want to know what the signs are so that we can kind of allow our expectation to rise and peak at the right moment. How about if we just lived at a peak expectation all the time? Mm-hmm. That we had our, our oil uh, vials full. And that whether Jesus comes in the next moment or not even in my lifetime, I will have lived my life at the peak of expectation for my Savior's return. That's what Jesus called us to. The third parable, the parable of the talents, and don't get confused by the, the talent word talent. That just means a measure of money. Verse fourteen, chapter twenty-five. For the kingdom of heaven is like a man traveling to a far country who called his own servants and delivered his goods to them. So the the uh, king is going to uh, go away for a while, and he gives he entrusts to three of his servants part of his estate. And to one, verse 15 says, he gave five talents to another two and to another one, to each according to his ability. And immediately he went on a journey. Then he who received the five talents went and traded with them and made five talents. And likewise, he who had received two gained two more also. But he who had received one went and dug it in the ground and hid his Lord's money. The king returns, and the one who has taken five talents and multiplied it to five more, the Lord says to him, well done, good and faithful servant, verse 21. I will make you ruler over many things. Enter into the joy of your Lord. Likewise, the guy who had two talents who had multiplied them into two more. Now it's four. comes to the Lord, and the Lord says exactly the same thing. Well done, good and faithful servant. Enter into the joy of the Lord. The Lord rewarded the guy with five who now has ten, the guy who had two and now has four. He rewarded both of them exactly the same. It wasn't on the basis of how much. In this room, we have people who apparently to us have been graced more than others. That's not really the true, but the Lord knows how we think. And so he has entrusted, when when I say grace, I mean God has blessed each one of us with talents, with skills, with giftings that most of us aren't even fully aware of. But when we look at each other, we think, well, I don't have as much as he has, or I don't have as much as she has, or worst case, I have a lot more than he has. You know, I don't know. (laughs) <clears throat> but the, the point is not how much or how little. The point is what do we do with what we've been entrusted with by our king? The reward is exactly the same for the guy with 10 as the guy with 4. But then we come to the guy who was given 1 and was so afraid that he hit it in the ground. Verse 24. Then he who had received the one talent came and said, Lord, I knew you to be a hard man. That right there tells me something. He didn't know his king very well. Lord, I knew you to be a hard man, reaping where you have not sown and gathering where you have not scattered. And I was afraid and went and he found, uh, hid your talent in the ground. Look, there, there you have what's yours. I, but look, I got it. Still here. But his Lord answered and said to him, you wicked and lazy servant, you knew that I reap where I've not sown. I have power to bring something from nothing. And you were scared to invest what I gave you? Look, I am powerful. I reap where I have uh, not sown. I gather where I've not scattered. Verse 27, so you ought to have deposited my money with the bankers at least uh, and, and at my coming, I would have received back my own with interest. At least I would have had interest if you'd have deposited it in the bank. Point is, what are you sitting on of the grace of God in your life that you're afraid to invest for His kingdom? I worked for one Christmas. Actually, I don't know. Probably three Christmas seasons. I worked in uh, as Christmas help in a department store. One of those was Macy's. You know, we were struggling, trying to make ends meet, and so I folded sweaters over and over and over. You know, but uh, even though I really didn't work the cash register that much, they had to train me on the cash register, and I was petrified. Now I'm pretty good with numbers, and I'm, I'm fairly intelligent, but man, I'm looking at this. In those days, it was like this mammoth thing, <laughs> buttons everywhere, and I'm like, ah, ah, I was afraid to touch it. And I'm not sure this was in the Macy's manual, but the person who was training me said, look, he slapped me and said, look, it's somebody else's money. Stop worrying about it. <laughs> okay. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I had to get over that fear hump. Look, it's someone else's money. Don't worry about it. What you have been, what you have been entrusted with by our great king to steward and invest for his kingdom of your gifts and callings and talents it's his yeah. it's his and he can bring something from nothing what are you afraid of mm. why are you paralyzed and comparing yourself to say, well I can't stand up there and do what Ken does no not very many people can who cares Do what you've been entrusted with. Invest your life for the king because he's coming back. And it's not going to be good enough for you to say, well, look, I, I still got what you gave me. Final story begins at verse 31. When the Son of Man comes in his glory and all the holy angels with him, then he will sit on the throne of his glory. All the nations will be gathered before him, and he will separate them from one another as a shepherd divides his sheep from the goats. And he will set the sheep on his right hand, but the goats on the left. You kind of get the picture of which one you want to be. A sheep, not a goat. <laughs> then the king... By the way, that reminds me. You know, we were driving to to and from... or this. This is nothing spiritual. But it just comes to my mind, and so I'm going to empty my mind right now. Is that okay? So we're driving to Oregon, and once you get... You guys have done this before. Once you cross out of California, it's like a different world, right? It's green. (laughs) And so we're we're driving along, and I'm used to seeing sheep gazing in this brown stubble that we, whatever we call this, around here. And up there, there's just... Well, we saw all kinds of herds or flocks or whatever they are of sheep out in these green pastures and I, I, I nudged Sue we were driving across and I said, does green gas give a lamb gas? Uh-oh. You'll get that in just a few minutes but anyway. Here we go. All right. We're back to this story sir. I had the same reaction. <laughs> <laughs> that's, why, that's why... That's why... That's why they didn't ask me to take over for Johnny Carson. (laughs) You guys probably even know who Johnny Carson is. (laughs) Verse 34, Then the king will say to those on his right hand, Come, you blessed of my father. Inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. For I was hungry. This is why. He separated the sheep from the goats, and he says to to the sheep, He says, Come, you blessed of my father because he tells them why why they're bust of the father why they get to go into the kingdom because well i was hungry you gave me food i was thirsty and you gave me drink i was a stranger and you took me in i was naked and you clothed me i was sick and you visited me i was in prison and you came to me then the righteous will answer him saying lord when did we see you hungry and feed you or thirsty and give you drink? When did we see you a stranger and take you in or naked and clothe you? Or when did we see you sick or in prison and come to you? And the king will answer and say to them, Assuredly, I say to you, inasmuch as as you did it to one of the least of these, my brethren, you did it to me. I had all these slides prepared so we're going to be ready now and we need to be prepared to wait we need to invest fully our lives and then finally we need to serve naturally as we wait for the coming of the lord we need to be involved in serving naturally a sheep doesn't have to work at being a sheep we don't have to work at being christ followers we are It's amazing to me that when Jesus answers their question, when did we do this? They aren't even aware that they've been serving him. They just have been serving him. They're just doing the things that Christ followers do. They weren't thinking about it. They weren't working at it. They weren't trying to score points with God. They weren't trying to do the things that the preacher told them to do. They were just being themselves. Christ followers, we do this stuff. It just comes naturally. A believer in Jesus leaves in his or her wake a completely different um, scenario than anyone else. We transform things as we move through this world as believers because we do simple things like take an interest in people who are hurting and care for them. We don't just shuffle on by, busy with our day. We do things that represent the king. We just live naturally as we serve and wait for him and his return. So that when he arrives, he will find us doing what he left us to do. He will find us at the peak of our expectancy. He will find that we have taken what he's deposited in us and we have multiplied it for his kingdom because we've been we've been his sheep. This is recording number 11133 from the Teaching Ministry of Crossroads 4 Square Church in Fairfield, California. It was recorded on Sunday morning, November 30th, 2014. This is the fourth and final message in a series by Randy Bolt titled 4 Square Gospel. This message is titled, King.